You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. And so one paragraph, very short. The evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. That was a passage that really stuck out to me. And there's been some theological ideas I've been tossing around my mind for a few months that I thought maybe I'd attempt to kind of give voice to here. It's nothing like startlingly new, um, things that uh, we've already talked about before. But when the Messiah came, there was one element that nobody was fully seeming to expect him to do. It was this casting out demons stuff. I don't know if you've ever paid close attention, but the Old Testament hardly says anything about demons. Like the word shows up like two or three times altogether. And they're usually in reference to just spiritual beings in general, especially the false gods who are demons is what... uh, uh, the Old Testament's going to say. But when you get to the New Testament, you're suddenly like, what happened between these two books? <laughs> I've got like three mentions of demons in the Old Testament, and then Mark mentions demons like every single passage of his story. And Jamin seems to bring them up all the time as well, that crazy man. When you start to see them just resurfacing over and over again, you're just kind of confused. Because there was a lot of things we were waiting for the Messiah to do when he showed up. But one of the things that we were not expecting was that he would cast out demons. We don't have a lot of passages in the Old Testament, or really any, that tell us that when he shows up, he's going to be casting out demons. Now, we have, since uh, the last few hundred years or so, we've come across the Dead Sea Scrolls, which gives us a look into all these ancient writings of the Jewish people that uh, had long been hidden away. So like as scholars have been reading through these things and translating them, they have picked up on some themes that in between the Old and New Testament, they were starting to feel like like maybe the Messiah would come and he would have power over demons. But that altogether seems strikingly new between the two Testaments. Now Jesus comes in And uh, as he starts to do ministry, he runs into demons here and there. One of the first ones that shows up is where? Does anybody remember? In a synagogue. Basically, like, inside of the Jewish understanding of we meet in a building to talk about God, that's where they met. Suddenly a demon shows up, and, and they start trying to derail Jesus. They start saying, this is the Son of God. This is the one. Or as Mark just said in today's passage, they knew who he was, and they were trying to draw attention to them. And Jesus was always like, shut up, stop saying that, which is strange to us. It's strange a lot of times when uh, the, the New Testament people tell demons to shut up, because sometimes it seems like they're saying okay things, right? Like, you're the son of God. Hey, shut up, stop saying that. 
Why would you tell him to shut up? <laughs> or Paul. You remember Paul? Paul is trying to do ministry, and there's this uh, girl behind him, this soothsayer who's been listening to demons to try to prophesy people's futures. Paul gets so annoyed by her because she's walking along saying, this is a servant of God who has come to tell you the truth about who Jesus is and all these things. And Paul's finally like, would you shut up? <laughs> and the demon leaves her, and now she can no longer do her little soothsaying things. Like, what? Why, why did Paul say shut up in that moment? Was, was she saying something untrue? But when you pay attention, like it doesn't matter that they're um, recognizing Jesus' identity. Part of the reason that they're doing it is to draw attention, to create chaos, to, to um, create a crowd, which often would get in Jesus' way of doing ministry. This would happen with healing. He would heal people and he would say, okay, now don't tell anybody about it. But they would go and do it anyways. And what would happen? Giant crowds would show up because they heard about the superhero in town that if you touch his body, you might be healed. So everybody's like up against each other trying to get up and touch him. And he has to leave towns prematurely before he wanted to because there's just too much of a crowd. Demons would do the same thing. They would show up and they would start to call attention to him. And that would get him... Uh, a big crowd that would be hard to deal with. Beyond that, Jesus did not want to talk about his identity as son of God. He often instead called himself the son of man. He didn't want to draw a lot of attention to the fact that he was the son of God because it wasn't time for everybody to know about that. You remember when uh, Mary wants him to fill up a bunch of vats with, with uh, um, wine? And Jesus says, it's not my time yet. It's because there's a, there's a whole timing to the kinds of things that he has to do. Because the thing that's going to get him killed in the end is he's going to resurrect the dead. He's going to resurrect Lazarus. And then he's going to be accused of blasphemy for seeing himself as the son of man and son of God. That kind of stuff could prematurely end his life before he is supposed to go to the cross. So the demons might be saying something true, you are the son of God, but they're not doing it to exalt him. They're doing it to mess with him, to draw attention. Whereas Jesus is not looking for that. The disciples don't even quite figure out that he's the son of God until very late in the ministry at the transfiguration. Needless to say, when you look at these kinds of stories, it's surprising because there were a lot of Jewish exorcists at the time and other people trying to do exorcism who could not fully figure out like the best ways to get rid of demons. Now they had come up with some ideas. One of the ones that they often did was they would try to move a demon out of a person into an animal and then they would drown the animal in the ocean. And the idea was, okay, we moved it out of one body into another and then we killed that body so now it has nowhere to live. Now does that sound familiar? Because Jesus did that at one point. Jesus kind of like showed he is the exorcist of all exorcists because he did one of the rituals people were familiar with. He took a thousand demons, kicked them into a thousand pigs, and then a thousand pigs off a cliff to where they met their end, right? So Jesus shows like he's not just that exorcist who's trying to figure it out and the one who's having some mild success. He's the one that like, the demons do exactly what he tells them to do. In fact, they're afraid of him. Because when you think of that story, 
There's like a thousand demons in this guy running up to Jesus. But what do they do? They don't attack. They fall on their face and they say, please don't torment us. Please don't torment us. A thousand verses one and they're scared. Now, how does that work? I would suggest to you it's because they know him. They know who he is. And this is something I've talked about for a long time, but in the Old Testament, there are many theologians that would say that there is a character in the Old Testament who is Jesus. His name is the angel of the Lord. And he is the commander of God's heavenly hosts. In other words, he's not just like an angel. He's not just a son of God. He's not just uh, a spiritual being. He is at the top of the hierarchy. He is the spiritual being. He is the son of God. That all the other spiritual beings and all the other sons of God need to listen to. He has total authority. And so when he comes to the earth and suddenly these demons are trying to attract attention to him and get in his way and create chaos for his ministry and start telling everybody who he is so that people will start to exalt him to the heavenly or to the earthly palaces and put him in charge. Jesus instead is telling them what to do and they're afraid. They have to listen. They have to do exactly what he says. If he tells them to shut up, they have to shut up. If he tells them to go to the pigs, they have to go to the pigs. And the demons are afraid because they know him. The demons are afraid because they don't know what might happen to them. They already know the prophetic word of, of the end times, that one day they will meet death. They're immortal beings. They're, they're spirits. And yet, God has prophesied over them that they will meet an end in the fires of hell that will burn out everything that does not belong in the new creation. That goes for these demons. And since Jesus is here right now in front of them, they're probably thinking to some extent, has he brought hell with him? Is he here to bring about the end? Because if you notice, the demons are often like, All right, are you here to do this now? I thought we had more time. They're trying to figure out why God has come as a person. And they're trying to figure out if the end has approached just like people have been trying to figure out for the last 2,000 years. They're scared. They don't get it. And these are not like higher up the hierarchy kind of demons. These are lowly ones who are probably even more afraid of what Jesus might do to them. Because they, they don't have the, probably the kind of power and authority to really push back that much. There are times you see in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord really has to struggle with some of the um, powers that have been given, uh, some of the demons that have been given powers. But these ones, I would suggest, are probably really base level, and they're terrified of him because they know who he is. He's the angel of the Lord. He's, he's the top one. He's all the way at the top. And so all they can figure out is like, well, he put on skin. He's a human now. We got to extinguish him, and then he won't be able to do whatever he's been trying to do. So they just keep trying to push him toward the cross. They keep trying to mess him up. But he doesn't fall for it. And so Jesus continues to carry out his power and authority. Now, this is not always as simple 
work with me here. This is not always as simple for us today when we come across demons. Yes, God has given us power and authority over demons to cast them out and to remove them. But I personally have found that the main way in which he wants to do this is by us listening to him to figure out the specific way to remove each one. There's a passage for that, right? The disciples can't cast out a demon in particular and Jesus tells them what? This kind can only be cast out with prayer. And he goes on in some manuscripts to say, and fasting. In other words, the idea is, if you want to figure out how to get this one out, you're going to have to ask me for details. That's the main way in which I do deliverance, is asking the Holy Spirit for details. How does this one come out? And he shows me. But um, when, I, when we just go in, power and authority, like, get out of here. Like, yeah, your power and authority is higher than that thing. But Jesus has specific ways in which he likes to untangle them. Now, when he was in the flesh, walking around as the angel of God incarnate, he could just say whatever to them and they had to listen. But for the rest of us, our job is to basically submit demons back to the feet of Jesus and say, all right, Jesus, we know they got to go under your authority. How do you want this one to leave? And then we listen. And most often it's, well, they're believing a lie that this demon has taught them. And if they want it to leave, they have to stop believing that lie. Other times it's, well, they're hanging on to a lot of bitterness instead of uh, forgiving someone. And this demon's empowered by that, so they got to forgive and then it can go. Or other times it's, well, they have a sin in their life that they are unrepentant of and they really need to repent. Otherwise, this thing won't leave. When Jesus walks by with flesh on and tells things to go, they go. It's that simple for him. But I would suggest for his disciples, whenever you're in a situation like that, you're just trying to go to Jesus and say, okay, it's as simple as you telling them to go. What do we do? I remember there was one case where I could not get this one out forever. Like I spent months. I tried all the things that I could think of Jamin doing until finally a spirit convicted me. Like, you really got to ask me what to do. I did that. As soon as we were done dealing with what the Spirit said, it left immediately. Something that I had told it to do with power and authority 800 times. Now, uh, often when I talk about that with people who are unfamiliar with deliverance, they look at me like, well, you're not doing it the Bible way, Jamin. You just don't have enough faith and there's no power and authority in you. You really got to advance it. What do you need to repent of, Jamin? Things like that. You know, it's like, okay, have you ever cast out any demons before? Well, no. All right. <laughs> Let's... Let's start there, first off. But it's always bringing it back to Jesus. How do you do this? They have to listen to you. And time and time and time again, I have seen when Jesus is ready for them to go, they have to listen and they do it. There is literally nothing that gets in the way. They just go. There was one time I was working with somebody who had lots and lots of spirits to cast out. And when Jesus said it was time for all of them to go, they all at once left. Like he didn't even do anything drastic. He just said, you and me, tell them to go, and they'll go. And so we did that. They left. Now, do you go into ministry 
in your everyday life or the struggles that you face or the temptations that you face, do you go into all of those things with the same kind of, of, of acknowledgement of who Jesus is as demons do? The demons believe God is real and they tremble about it. The demons believe God is real. There's no atheist demons out there. <laughs> and they tremble about it. They know that they have to listen. Yet sometimes I find in Christianity that we are very stubborn with the king of the universe, with the king of the cosmos. Yes, we know who he is, but we do not want to yield ourselves over to him. Yeah, we have good theology, but unlike the demons, sometimes we don't tremble when God tells us to do something. We just reject him. No, 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 I'll follow you, but I'm not going to do that thing. Classic Jonah style, right? The demons knew who Jesus was. The demons obeyed Jesus when he spoke to them. But what about us? We know who Jesus is. We know the good theology of who he is. But do we listen when he speaks to us? I know it sounds weird, but are we as obedient to Jesus as the demons are? One of the ways in which he really had to work in my life was that very thing of breaking lies. To me, it seemed obedient to just hate myself. Jesus, you don't like sin. I don't like this sin. Therefore, I'm just going to like rip myself apart. Obedience, I found out, though, was loving myself, forgiving myself, and letting go of that stuff. That was obedience. I should have probably trembled that I would not allow God's love to break in. And when I did, he was able to take more space in my thinking, more space in my life, more space in my habits. Because they began to be submitted to his reign and his kingdom under his authority. God is looking for faithful Christians. We are people who practice faith. Faithfulness is within the scope of what faith is. Will we listen? He is kind, he is loving, he is patient, and he is gentle. And he will wait a long, long time for us to, to come to him for the answers that we're looking for. I've shared many, many times about a uh, word I got like, I don't know, 12 years ago that I had to learn to cry again. Got it from two random people I didn't know. And I just started understanding what that word meant over like the last two months. Maybe I would have got it sooner if I didn't wait 12 years to like... <laughs> figure, you know, ask the Holy Spirit what to do with that. But he is patient, he is kind, he is loving, and he adores you. You are not a demon to him. 
But the, the comparison that I'm giving us today to think about, and I'm all over. If demons listen, why don't we sometimes? If demons will be obedient to what he says, why do we struggle so much? So Jesus, we give you our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength. You ask us for everything. You don't want your kingdom just to be in our minds lest we be good theologians. You don't want your kingdom just to be in our hearts, lest we be full of passion but no wisdom. You don't want your kingdom just to be in our spirits, lest it not manifest in our bodies. You want your kingdom in every fabric of our lives, that it might restore us, and that we might go on to restore the world around us. That it might become in Jackson as it is in heaven because your children who know you are obedient to you. Your children who acknowledge you as the king of the cosmos at the highest place on the throne above submit themselves to their king that they might be citizens of heaven and live out your reign within their double citizenship here in Jackson. Teach us that the first thought we listen. You are loving and you are kind and you are with us. May we not uh, stretch your grace out further than need be. Ask for more mercy than, than when we could have just turned the first time. We know you'll give it. But may we allow your spirit in to captivate us and to bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name.